Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made in the history of horror and also movies from best to worst. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Good. I've gotten into uh, collecting specifically bootleg kaiju action figures these days. Okay. So so they're Godzilla and Ultraman figures that I buy off of uh, AliExpress, <laughs> who are not a sponsor of this podcast. Not yet. Uh, and what I love about them is they're the exact molds of like the real figures, except when you flip them over where the normal action figure would have the copyright and the company name mm-hmm. printed on the foot... It's just a very shallow, blurry version of the same thing. Like, <laughs> yep, nothing suspicious going on here. Yeah, that's honestly, like, action figures, especially, like, as an adult, I think that, you know, you, you, I, I sort of went through a period of, like, you know, because you, you have action figures when you're a kid, and then you get older, and you're like, ah, like, whatever. And then at a certain point, you're like, no, I actually do need this action figure to hang out on my desk where I work and just have it there. Like, it's it's important. I'm not proud of how much I've been spending on bootlegs. Like, (laughs) I know they're not real. And for some reason, I've become more attracted to these fake versions of the toys (laughs) than the real ones. They're they're a little bit more charming how they have less color application. So so instead of, like, the five-color paint job that a real one has, it has a two-color paint job instead. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I mean, obviously, the, the god-tier bootleg toy to me is Sharp Hand Joe in the shape yeah. of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love this thing of all you need is, like, a mold and some plastic, and you can basically make anything. And It's, it's yeah. pretty great. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely good. Um, I've considered even starting to make my, old mo- my own molds, but I haven't been that ghoulish. Yeah. So, Ryan, what ghoulish death metal have you been listening to lately i've been rotating between uh cannibal corpse morbid angel and deicide but the thing about deicide i always end up turning it because like it's perfectly fine musically but it's sort of um you know when somebody like a young guy and it's always guys who sort of uh turn like 18 or 19 and they go through an aggressive atheist period where they're just like did you know that jesus of nazareth sucked and it's like all right great man um (laughs) and it's you know it's just it's it's a little bit much with those guys relatedly uh yesterday was uh sarah's birthday and for their birthday we watched we watched the 1973 uh film adaptation of jesus christ superstar um that's a buck wild movie (laughs) it is buck wild there is so much going on in that fucking thing uh and i'm realizing uh my, my favorite bit of trivia that i cannot stop thinking about is apparently um while uh the the actor who plays jesus was like they're about to do the crucifixion scene one of the roman soldiers who was played by an israeli dude who didn't really speak a lot of english apparently thought that he genuinely had to hammer a nail through this guy's hand and was just like ready to fucking do it like time to meet the reaper on this motion picture man and the director had to be like no don't hammer that through his hand um i can't stop thinking about it because i'm like how did the director know that this dude was about to hammer a spike through this actor's hand? Like, was he taking a couple of practice swings before driving it home? What was happening here? Like, this is... I, I'm assuming that it's just the desert sun was getting to everybody's brains. Yeah. So, my favorite part of uh, Jesus Christ Superstar is uh, Josh Mustel 
uh, who I believe is who was in the seventies production. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who plays Herod. Oh, he's because, perfect. Yeah, especially because the beginning where you know they're like kooky seventies, we're all getting off the bus. <laughs> he's just in a t-shirt, sweating profusely, and just over it from the very beginning. <laughs> Which really fits in with his character as Herod. Like, Herod is the highlight of that movie to me because he's this, like, which, by the way, uh, Josh uh, Mustel, uh, son of legendary actor Zero Mustel, uh, he uh, is this, like, shitty, loose, shirtless guy who's, like, chubby and kind of gay, but kind of over it, but kind of a bro, and all these tiny dances, like, it's, it's, (laughs) he is the best part of that movie to me. Yeah. Like either, either him or like the guy that plays Judas. Which, by the way, I love that this movie drives home the fact that the bad guy should always be a better singer than the good guy. <laughs> um, the guy that plays true, Judas is true. just fucking destroying that performance, just chewing the scenery, hitting those notes. It's yeah, that film adaptation. Um, Christina was also a little bit high on CBD oil while watching it, which I think was the ideal way to watch the film adaptation. The only um, CBD I'm familiar with are Chicken Biscuits and Dr. Pepper, so I can't really <laughs> identify with that. This just makes me think of how many different uh, people, without talking to each other, uh, tweeted cock and ball torture for CBD, <laughs> which is always what I think of every single time. Um, speaking of cock and ball torture, uh, let's get into, holy shit, the movie we're doing for this week, uh, which is uh, The Crow, colon, Wicked Prayer from two, 2005 and this is the uh the fourth crow movie overall uh the third sequel and and final crow movie i think like this one they're like good we can end it yeah i well and that's kind of the thing is okay so if we're looking at the taglines you know like we've got uh like the crow is a great movie and then the crow city of angels which we did on a previous episode of course is uh, believe in the power of another where it's like come on i know he's not brandon lee but come on the the tagline on the poster for the crow wicked prayer is passion revenge eternity like are you just naming things you like at this point like what's... i especially love that the poster has passion revenge eternity and edward furlong's beleaguered face on this poster <laughs> being like why am i in this movie i love that edward furlong Edward Furlong's character doesn't want to be the crow either. <laughs> oh, it's actually, this is the thing I kind of love is how much through this movie, the crow is just like, dude, I want to die so bad. I didn't want to come back for this. I woke up in a fridge, you motherfuckers. I don't want to do any of this. <laughs> okay, so basically, this is an especially strange uh, The Crow sequel. So the original is based off of a comic book, and the comic book was a way for the author to process the grief of his fiance being killed by a drunk driver. Right, and it was the idea of like god damn it, I just wish so much that I could like exact vengeance on somebody for taking, you know, my life away from me and it's like that comic by the way fantastically different from the original Crow movie in so many ways. Um I did not expect the comic to go that hard after watching The Crow a million times. Oh yeah, um, it it does not fuck around. No. Comics, independent comics in the 1980s especially, were truly the Wild West of you can put anything in this. And also, the 80s was a time when independent comics were going, we're not your dad's comics, we're not kids stuff. So they go 
very hard. That was their cultural cachet. Was I mean, and, and you're exactly right about the Wild West because, and I think that there's a conversation uh, between comic books and horror movies where you can get away with so much shit because nobody's really looking over at shit. Like if you're in the 1980s indie comic scene, you can put all kinds of shit in there that either the cognoscenti know about and are down with, or they're like, oh, comics? You mean like the funny papers? I like that Dagwood Bumstead, and they're not reading The Crow. Like, yeah. you don't gotta Where's worry about Funky that. Where's Funky Winkerbean? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Funky Winkerbean's been disemboweled. Like, it's just, no. yeah, it's not, it's not happening. Um, And so, the, yeah, The Crow Wicked Prayer, which at this point, Quincy, I'm gonna keep it 100 with you. I knew about The Crow City of Angels. I knew about The Crow Wicked Prayer, I didn't know about the Crow Salvation from so 2000. The Crow Salvation uh, I have read is actually one of the. I've not seen it, but I've read reviews, and it sounds like the actual interesting Crow sequel because it is about crooked cops. Now we're talking. See, this yeah. is. Th- there's a weird conversation between uh, the Crow himself and law enforcement in these movies, I feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because, like, obviously, the iconic... Now, and I'm going to make sure that we don't spend this podcast just talking about how much we love the movie The Crow, which we still haven't done on this podcast somehow. And, and we never will, because it's... it's <laughs> I mean, it's it, unassailable. There's I mean, nothing it, that we can say. Yeah, I, I think at this point, we've talked so much about the movie The Crow that we've basically ranked it number one in our hearts and talked about the entire <laughs> thing. Um, but, so, The Crow Wicked Prayer was based on a tie-in novel... Uh, of the same name for The Crow, which, by the way, I gotta shout out Poppy Z. Bright's Crow tie-in novel, which feature which features twin-cest, uh, and one of them becomes The Crow after his brother gets murdered. Um, you know, we're working twin-cest into The Crow. That's wild. vein of you can do anything, I still sometimes am having a perfectly good day and think about a paragraph from Exquisite Corpse, and it just ruins everything. Quincy, is it the shrimp Vayner? It is the shrimp Vayner. How did <laughs> you did know? I, did I, I have the same thing. That, oh my god, Poppy Z. Bright. Yeah, they, Splatterpunk, I think for me, Poppy Z. Bright is like the only Splatterpunk writer who really, really does it for me, um, because it's upsetting and also gay. So it's, you know, it, it, it you know it really does it for me. But So The Crow Wicked Prayer uh, centers around... Um, a man named Jimmy Cuervo, which, by the way, your name is Jimmy Cuervo, and you're a white Edward Furlong? Come on! And, it, <laughs> like, what are we, like, this This cast is, like, largely Latinx, and, you know, you've got Edward Furlong looking like, you know what Edward Furlong looks like? That flash-forward in The Simpsons where Bart is in a band called the Tequila Mockingbirds with Ralph Wiggum, and he's just, like, shitty and has a rat tail. <laughs> That's I see it. I really do believe that the producers have no concept of what ethnicity is because Mm -hmm. they also cast a Japanese man as a Hispanic man. And they cast David Boreanaz as a Hispanic man as well. They also cast Dennis Hopper as a jive-talking pimp at the end of this movie, which we are... Holy... I can't wait to get into that. They also cast a woman with brown eyes as a character with blue eyes. (laughs) And multiple times in the movie, they talk about, look how blue her eyes are, with close-ups of her having visually brown eyes. (laughs) This is... You know what... Y'all had Dennis Hopper money, but you didn't have blue contact lens money? (laughs) 
like this is you know what this is this makes me think of uh mark hamill telling the story of uh while they were filming the original star wars um right after the trash compactor scene uh Mark Hamill was like, wait a minute, in the next scene, shouldn't Luke have, like, wet clothes and hair because we were in there with, the, like, the, the, the filth water? And then Harrison Ford leaned in and was like, kid, this is not that kind of movie. <laughs> like, if anybody is picking up on those details in Star Wars, we are all in big trouble. And that's this, where it's just like, nobody's looking at her eyes to confirm that they are, in fact, perfect blue eyes, as they keep telling us. I love that Harrison Ford and Alec Guinness are notoriously crotchety to Star Wars fans. Alec Guinness would crush children's dreams. They would write him letters and he'd be like, listen, spend your time watching real cinema. Don't waste your time with this bullshit. It's got to be rough. I'm Alec Guinness. I I was on on the River Kwai. You know what, though? For me, if uh, uh, you're Alec Guinness and you've been like, a Shakespearean actor of many, many decades, and this is the shit you're known for. It's like uh, Peter Cushing being known for Grand Moff Tarkin when he's been working the Hammer Horror Mines for like two decades. <laughs> like it's it's rough, man. Um, but so uh, Jimmy Cuervo uh, is a he's serving parole uh, with his mullet and his nobody in this movie has ever washed their hands. Um, ever. Ever. Also, there's just scorpions everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lousy with scorpions. Uh, and so the thing is that w- what we're introduced to... Uh, so this is this takes place on a Raven uh, Aztec reservation. Um, and so much of this thing is built around... There's like a mine in town, and there's like labor disputes. But we get like the first 30 seconds of the thing going, Oh man, labor disputes in a mining town. The movie promptly fucks off and forgets about all of that. Yeah, it's like, okay, and it also is really weird how it positions the villains of the film Mm -hmm. as the heroes of the film in the first scene because they're involved in the labor disputes, but also you don't know which side you're supposed to go with because they haven't told you what the dispute is. Right. So you see famine... um, pestilence and war just murdering people and you're like oh cool they're like robin hood types and then you're like or not for something yeah no yeah it's it's weird as hell because they kind of um you know when you're like a blue collar union worker who's also in a satanic biker cult (laughs) like they can't quite decide on on what to do with them but and they give us these smash cards. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like a yakuza game where you get like pestilence, chairman of the biker gang uh, family, and it's like you, you know, the problem is that we get these smash cards that, uh, by the way, everything in this movie from the music down to the font on the credits is giving us Wild West realness. Yeah, it's very like, again, it's that. The um, producers of this movie have never talked to any Latinx person ever. No, no, <laughs> at no they're point. They're like, Dia de los Muertos is a thing, so let's just do that. Which is also weird because they did fucking Dia de los Muertos in, like, the Crow City of Angels with the parade at the end while they're, like, fully uh, hanging the, the crow in the town square while the... Anyway, it, yeah, they, they, they go back to that well a couple of times in this uh, <laughs> franchise. Um, but you know, we get these thing. This is all Wells. There is nothing different (laughs) about this movie than any of the other three previous 
iterations. No, but I do got to. I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna be upfront with you. This movie is so much better than the Crow City of Angels to me because it is leagues better. Oh my god! Like the Crow City of Angels. Now the the funny thing to me, um, because I do think the Crow City of Angels tried doing a a, a, a color palette thing where it was like, okay, the Crow was about rain. This movie is going to be about smoke, like, as an element. And then the movie, The Crow, Wicked Prayer, was like, we're going to be about uh, brown things? Like, dirt, dirt, (laughs) dirt, and grime, and the color brown? It's it's a choice that actually, I think, kind of works. Like, I'm kind of here for it. Uh, But so these, uh, we get introduced to the the biker gang, all of whom are named after the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So you've got war, death, uh, famine, and pestilence. And they have barrio-style graffiti of Mexican gangsters <laughs> dressed as the plagues. <sighs> like, yeah, I, I I'm wondering how they settled on that as a motif for their gang. Like, was it like one of them wanted to do the Three Musketeers, but then they were one of them was, was like, "Look, there's there's four of us, and it's not our vibe." And then they were like, "The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse," and everybody nodded and went, "Fuck yeah!" Um, and death. <laughs> Is played by the uh, the antagonist of the film, the main one, uh, Luke. Pr- uh, quotation marks. Death Crash, uh, who is uh, Luke Crash and his girlfriend Lola Byrne. So you know, Crash and Burn. Crash and Burn, an actual thing, because subtlety is for cowards. Oh, also, yeah. his name is L U C Luke because later he embodies Lucifer. Oh, I didn't catch that. Look at them. All right. I mean, it was yeah. either that or he was either it was either going to be that or he was going to be like Bill Death Zabub and like was going to, you know, th- this, I mean, is, this is also a movie where the guy that turns in the into the crow's last name is Cuervo. I mean, yeah, yeah. Which is obviously Spanish for, you know, crow. I, the thing is, this is, I think, the first movie in the franchise that I've seen that's actually brought in the existence of actual ass God and Satan. Like... Otherwise, it's like, yeah, there's an afterlife, but we don't know what goes on after that. We know that there's a crow involved as a kind of middleman. Uh, But, you know, when you die, there's no coming back unless you're really upset. Uh, Also, for a franchise that's obsessed with uh, crucifying the superhero, the crow, Mm -hmm. it's pretty buck wild that this is the one that's like, now Satan is also involved in this scenario i feel that we did not need satan in the mix but what i think happened with this movie actual christian ass satan (laughs) yeah old scratch ass mephistopheles devil horns is is in this movie in full effect doing the devil voice anyway um the thing is that uh we didn't need it there but i think this movie what they did in the third act uh is that they were making this movie up as they went along and then they kind of hit a wall and were like, okay, so this biker gang, what's their thing? And what, what it is, is sacrificing um, people to gain powers, I guess? They're trying, the whole movie, they're trying to resurrect Lucifer. And the way that you do that is by killing a bunch of people in sacrificial Satan murders. So they have to kill people in sacrificial ways to get their 
Satan resurrection. Only. Which is that? How is that part of the labor dispute? Like, are they going to find new people to pay their dues by harvesting souls? Are they like gonna defeat the Pinkertons with like the power of Satan? I'd be into. Th Listen, if we could get a movie about a labor union that draws on the power of Satan to defeat the machinery of capitalism, I'm on board. I'm immediately buying a ticket. I'm getting the T-shirt. Um, so, you know, their, their, their motives are kind of, kind of nebulous. Um, I also need to point out that the screenplay was written by the same screenwriter that wrote Halloween Resurrection. No shit. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. You know what? I can see it. Um, that makes sense. The director has a writing credit. The producer has a writing credit, which is never a good sign. <laughs> it really takes a, it really takes a village, doesn't it? Um, yeah. They, yeah, it was, a, it was a, it was a group Omar, the comic book writer, has a credit. Norman Partridge, the author of the novel, has a credit, and then finally, Jeff Most and Jeff Most has a credit, and then finally, Sean Hood gets a, a credit for the screenplay. I'm actually really surprised that this wasn't an Alan Smithy situation where everybody's trying to pass the buck and they're like, I don't know, I don't I don't know about the Crow Wicked Prayer. I've never seen it in I my mean, life. I really think it is a they got the director and the producer sat down. <laughs> it it feels like a movie that a director who's only directed a single film before and the producer wrote and then they're like, Sean Hood, please come make this something usable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, especially by the time you get to the third act of the film, it goes uh, utterly off the rails. Um, in the first bit of it, we, we get introduced to Jimmy Cuervo, who, um, he's in this town, and he is the most hated man that has ever lived. Like, everybody in this town, when they see him, is like, fuck you, Jimmy. <laughs> like, So, he's a convict. He's an ex-convict. Mm -hmm. He killed a rapist. Right, or an, an attempted rapist? Like... Uh, it's, it's uh, the beloved son of somebody in town who I think was on, like, a football team, and he was, like, in front of God and everybody out in, like, a field or something trying to, you know. And, and then, so, Edward Furlong, uh, sorry, Jimmy Cuervo, I'm, I'm going to keep calling him Edward Furlong, uh, pulls pulls him off, uh, is it his, the, the lady who gets fridged um, to make this whole thing work? I think it's someone else. I'm, it's very convoluted. Mm -hmm. And it's it's in these weird, trippy flashbacks, so it's just, all you really need to know is everyone fucking hates Eddie Furlong in this movie. It's on site with this dude. Like, everybody sees Jimmy coming, they're like, alright, well here comes fuck nuts Cuervo, and he's just like, Wh whatever, Terminator. Um, and he's <laughs> fucking, fucking Edward Furlong in this movie. I'm just gonna, like, put this out here. He is the weeniest crow of all of the crows. Like, at no point does he look like a cool guy doing cool stuff. He's always like, yeah, I want to die, man. And he's just like, uh, yeah, it's it's rough. But but and he that's also a big mood <laughs> to be suicidal <laughs> and not able to kill yourself because you're the crow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and so he uh, is dating uh, a lady in this town named Lily, who Lola. Uh, oh no no L Lola is Lola Byrne. Oh, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot Lily and Lola. Okay, so they wrote this script and we're like, all right, we got we got Lily, have... Lola and Luke. Man, they they were going through it. So this was just like Mad Libs for them. They were just like fucking uh <laughs> Lily. Lily uh who is 
somehow now the problem with this movie is that so uh, edward furlong the paroled convict something about the adr in this movie makes it so that when uh jimmy cuervo is smooching on lily in the first bit of this movie those smooches are so loud it's like <laughs> it's like edward furlong is chewing on her flesh and it's just like blah 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 and i'm i'm gagging like i don't want to watch eddie furlong chewing on anyone um, it's great because lily's brother is the sheriff of the reservation well, who also hates his ass. uh eddie as much as possible and big mood because if he if i knew that this dude was smooching my sister like that oh uh, yeah i would i would harass him and also <laughs> eddie is on the smallest bicycle possible <laughs> yeah yeah, it is. It is tiny. Um, it is he, a. It is a beginner's bike without the training wheels. <laughs> and he's just struggling to to go down the road, and then the bike. cops come over and just harass him. Yeah, they just give him shit, and he's you know trying to. The problem is that they're trying to make it so that you know he gives as good as he gets, or he's like whatever asshole. But it's just like everybody's just like fuck you, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> And so uh, we're introduced to... Now, so uh, I need to point out, uh, Luke uh, Death Crash is played by uh, 2003-era David Boreanaz, who at this point would have been finishing out um, season four of Angel. Uh, And now I'm going to admit I am enormously fond of... So this is post-Buffy, pre-Bones David Boreanaz. Yeah, and I gotta say, he looks good. He looks good in this movie. Um, he's, I'm, you know what? I'm such a fan of David Boreanaz as Angel, but I don't think he's a good actor. But he's not a good actor. But in this movie specifically, he's going hell for breakfast. Um, in the third act of this movie, like he's doing cartwheels. He's like slapping himself in the face before every take. Uh, and he uh, is dating uh, Lola Byrne, as you know, who is played by Tara Reid, who I want to say is zanned out for the duration of this movie's runtime. For someone who carves a woman's eyes out on screen, she is the most nonplussed character in the whole film. It's the most sedate dismembering I've ever witnessed. Like she's just <laughs> like, oh, whatever. I'm just but we also have to talk out. about we meet all of these characters because Tara Reed uses a sniper rifle to shoot <laughs> the handcuffs right. off David Boreanaz. I totally forgot him. Man, this movie is full of so much wacky shit. I totally forgot about Tara Reed with a full ass sniper rifle shooting David Boreanaz's handcuffs. And David Boreanaz beats up a squad of police officers with a black hood on his head for some reason. I mean, this, I I think, so I don't mean to, you know, anthropomorphize too much, or not anthropomorphize, no, that's not the word, hold on. I don't mean to, like, tell tales out of school, but this is around the time that Abu Ghraib happened? Maybe, maybe that was in the public consciousness is like oh prisoners out in the desert and this guy that we're all afraid of i don't know maybe i'm 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 100% sure that i'm giving the crow colon wicked prayer like too much credit on this the straight to dvd so the so miramax could keep the rights to the movie yeah yeah the which character production i mean this movie was shot in 2003 and released in 2005 so i'm sure that they were like sitting on this movie like ah fuck all right should we release it yeah 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 fine i'm just gonna cover my eyes bloop click the button it's out in the world 
Um, but so her thing is that she likes cutting. She wants to cut out somebody's eyes to gain the power of clairvoyance. So she has this spell book, and they get. She is the one who has the idea. If we kill two lovers and cut out their eyes and heart, mm-hmm. then we can resurrect Lucifer. Right. Uh, they they actually go back and forth between the Antichrist and Lucifer. Not the same fucking guy, fellas. Like, you're a satanic biker cult. You should know the difference between the Antichrist and the Beast. I'm just... But they do use them interchangeably. So yeah, they're like, <laughs> okay, we've got to kill two lovers. And who are the only two people that love each other in this town? Ah, yes. It's Jimmy Cuervo and his smooch face... Sucking girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's like, it's Jimmy and Lily, and then the rest of the townsfolk, they don't have anybody in their life, so all they can live for is verbally abusing this parolee who lives in a trailer. <laughs> like, no one's getting laid in we this. We also thing. have to, to note that Luke Crash and Jimmy Cuervo, good old C&C, were <laughs> friends on the chain gang while they were in prison, because there's also yeah. only one prison in this state. There's one prison, there is one set on this movie. It's like a combination bar, prison, amphitheater. Like, they don't, we, we, we're sort of informed that they know each other. And, you know, later on, you know, Luke crashes like, bah, you know, like I taught you how to, how to fight and how to survive out here. And then I ripped your heart out and ate it. Um, or he yeah, didn't, because yeah. he's like, so... So Jimmy and, and Luke are sitting on the bat, the tailgate of the prison truck, and they're like, look at that hot girl over there. I'm going to date her one day. And then Luke Gretsch is like, I'm going to lock this away so that I know whom to murder in my ritual satanic murder. Right click, on. save as. Edward Furlong wants to get his dick wet, and perhaps I can rip his heart out. <laughs> He's really playing the long game here with this guy. Um, and so they, yeah, so they, uh, they tie up Lily and... It's uh, also buck wild that that is the thing that merits a flashback, because they're like, the audience isn't going to buy this if we don't give that bit of exposition, that they have this long-term relationship. Right, at this point, it could just be, hey, Edward Furlong, you look like a dickhead, I'm going to rip your heart out, it's me, David Boreanaz, who, by the way... If anything, the entire franchise is known for senseless random killings. You know what? I'm at at this point in the Crow franchise, I am fucking good with I don't know, man, sometimes senseless violence happens to people who don't have it coming. It's a fallen world. Iggy Pop is here. Like bad <laughs> shit is going to happen and you just need to be okay with that in your Crow movie. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. We can the most out of, Faustian Nonsense can make it happen. Come join our community and let's build something great together. Um, and so, so uh, Crash and Burn and the gang uh, tie up Lily and Jimmy and they, they, they rip out her, quote, perfect blue eyes. Uh, and instantly we get this blur effect that's like, whoa, Tara Reed has the power of clairvoyance. Um, and they rip out uh, his heart, and then they uh, put their bodies in a fridge in a landfill, which, by the way, the fact that they literally fridge Lily, Jimmy's girlfriend, in this motion picture, uh, brave, I guess. Yep. <laughs> literally fridging her. Uh, so and then, yeah. I also need to point out that <laughs> Lola keeps her 
ceremonial witch knife in a like licensed lunchbox. Man, if you told me that like it's got okay. a motherfucking jabber jaw on it. <laughs> it's so much. I I wonder how they settled on that. Like did they workshop which lunchbox they wanted her to carry her sacrificial like Ren Fair knife in? The, the welcome back Cotter lunchbox where someone <laughs> nodded or Shaq's jacket. <laughs> Oh, man, this movie is so much. So after they get sacrificed, I need to point this scene out because I can't stop thinking about it. They go to this, like, from dusk till dawn-ass, like, cantina, and they're celebrating having performed a ritual sacrifice to summon Satan, where David Boran is like, all right, guys, I made deviled ham, deviled eggs, and for dessert, well, it's devil's food cake. And he has literally made these items to celebrate doing his satanic sacrifice. Also, all of it is dusted in peyote. Um, there's also, a lot of peyote going the, on in this movie. The most harrowing part of this movie, I think, is in this scene, uh, Pestilence, played by <laughs> treasured character actor um, Yuji Okamoto, Mm -hmm. uh talks with his mouth full of deviled egg yeah he really does like it's it's, i've watched both necromantics and this is more harrowing to me it's disgusting i and it's in addition to the fact that marcus chong who plays war and also i only know him as uh tank from the matrix um and he's sort of he always looks like he's seconds away from licking something. Like, he's <laughs> always... He's so weirdly intense and mouth-based as a he's character. He's also in this movie doing weird war aphorisms the whole time. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Why is it's he the like only... quoting like, son. I mean, I mean, he's like the only character who read the brief, who's a member of... <laughs> The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, where he's just like, all right, man, I've memorized a bunch of war quotes, and he's, like, looking over at Pestilence, waiting for him to say something about getting sick, and he's like, what, don't look at me, I'm not doing that sh- I'm just, my name is, what, my name is Pestilence, I kill people, I'm, I don't, I'm not, I'm not doing any of this shit. Um, and so we get this- Famous like, I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> <laughs> say, I could go for some devil's food cake, some deviled ham, and some deviled eggs. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I'm, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there. I hate hallucinogenic, peyote-ass desert montages. Yeah. They're stupid. Like, and maybe it's just because I've never done, like, ayahuasca in the desert or, or something. Um, every time they show it in a movie or in a show, it's just like, I'm going to get motion sick for fucking 30 seconds while these characters do things stupidly and quickly. Well, um, it's like... When I was in grad school in my writing program, Mm -hmm. one of the rules of our workshop was don't write a drug scene because they're incredibly boring. And if you bring it to workshop, no one can critique it because it's the only thing you can say about a drug scene is, yep, that's weird because they were on drugs. You (laughs) succeeded. It does nothing for storytelling. That's a great point. Like, being on a drug is fascinating if you are on that drug at that moment and never anywhere else. Like, being on drugs is. Someone telling me about their drug trip is akin to someone telling me about their dream. 
absolutely boring. I don't yeah. care what kind of crazy dream you had because it does not register the same to anyone but you. Right, unless it's like wildly entertaining. Like if you, I'm, I'm going to addend that to say that if you've done, um, like I've done the drugs that I have done, I've only been on a couple of hallucinogenic drugs. It's only an interesting story if you did something that is also funny once you are sober. Uh, if it's, you know, like, I'm thinking of this one person who got, like, really fucked up on painkillers and really wanted to listen to Led Zeppelin and kept trying to type it into YouTube, but it wouldn't come up. And they're like, what the fuck? And then they went to bed and woke up and realized that they had been typing in Loop Zoop, like, 30 <laughs> times. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, but if you yeah. just laid on your carpet and stared at the ceiling for three hours, not interesting. Yeah, especially because we're post-train spotting, like... You either have to make it interesting and compelling or not at all. Like, that's that's great that in your creative writing workshop it was like, look, no one gives a shit about your trip in the desert. Like, you do, and it was deeply formative for you and your psyche and, you know, via con Dios, but no one else gives a shit. Stop um, wasting our time, please. Yeah, like, dr drugs, are, drugs are boring. Uh, but, so, Edward Furlong uh, wakes up in the fridge. I love, by the way, the energy of this crow who lands on the fridge and starts just banging his beak on it like, time to fucking wake up and do some violence. <laughs> um, like, hey, hey, Edward Furlong. Like, I feel like this crow is not the first person who's had to wake up a nodding off Edward Furlong to go do his job. <laughs> like, this is just like, hey, man, get a your shit together. scorpion could not get Edward Furlong off the couch to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, and I do feel like I should register this. Fuck Edward Furlong, he's a domestic abuser and a stalker who's just kind of a piece of shit. So I, I kind of feel good just being mean about Edward Furlong in this movie. Um, but so he uh, wanders out of the fridge and, you know, now, and at this point you're thinking, oh, that iconic scene from The Crow where, you know, Eric Draven, you know, puts on the crow makeup while Burn by the Cure is playing in the background. We do not get that. We do get Edward Furlong loitering aggressively. And Watching going, a suicide attempt? Oh, yeah. No, because he's, he's immortal. <laughs> so this suicide attempt, uh, he is stumbling around back in his trailer after being like, yeah, I've been brought back from the dead, Terminator. And he uh, picks up a huge, dirty, hairy-ass forty-five Magnum uh, and just sticks it into his chest and pulls the trigger. No sells it like The Undertaker like doesn't stagger it on goes what have i become and it's just like great man yeah you're the crow and to prove that he's the crow he uh puts on i want to say the horsed crow makeup in the entire franchise it's literally a halloween costume he wore last year that he was holding on to so in this universe so lola says hey he's the crow like that crow <laughs> I think this universe might actually be one where the crow films exist. <laughs> this is his bad crow costume. Yeah, this just makes me think of uh, the goth club in Nashville that I used to go to uh, every week uh, on the website. You know, it was sort of, uh, they had this sort of helpful uh, how-to goth thing that was like, hey, hi, welcome. Uh, if you want to come to our goth club, like, here's kind of what we do. Here's the kind of music we listen to. And there was also a thing uh, on the site that said, friends don't let friends come to the goth club dressed as the crow. <laughs> um, which I think is the kindest thing they could have said. Um, but yeah, so he's like, whatever, I'm just going to put on some crow makeup. And he just like grabs like a, a magic marker and just like, sorry, guys, you couldn't do better crow makeup than this than just like it looks like half drawn on 
and like a shitty Crayola Jenny marker. Marcel Marceau. Man, this crow make it's a shambles, this crow makeup. It is just fucking terrible. Uh, and so he puts he puts it onto his face, uh, and we are uh, inter- by the way, Danny Trejo, who is in this movie, um, this is the same year, by the way, uh, released uh, that this movie was released that he was doing the Devil's Rejects. Um, so if you're doing a weird sequel in the desert to your splashy original movie, get Danny Trejo on, on the horn, I guess. Um, and Danny Trejo plays the is it the father of Lily? Or... Father of Lily, the uh, spiritual leader and actual chief of, of this reservation. Yeah, and also he also doesn't like Jimmy. I love that no... <laughs> I love that nobody in this movie likes Jimmy Cuervo. I just want everybody uh, you know, and I'm I, I feel like on TV shows, I like that on um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, there are just characters that don't like each other and will just never like each other. And like, it's not a huge thing, you know, like we don't need to make it a big thing. But I just like the idea that just Jimmy Cuervo is deeply unlikable and nobody in this town likes him. Um, and so uh, Jimmy starts uh, enacting his vengeance. Jimmy does not go over in this film really until the end like he just gets the shit kicked out of him and he just doesn't do anything cool basically the entire time yeah it it's very bad uh so through the it it's the exact same beats as any of the other crow movies he kills off the gang one by one and as he's yeah. working his way up um he the crow the magical raven is injured which right. makes him less immortal. Yeah, yeah. I well, and that's the funny thing, isn't it? Uh, so Tara Reed's character, Lola Byrne, uh, who's basically the fucking great value version of Bai Ling's character from the original Crow, with, who has a thing about ripping out people's eyes and being kind of psychic. Um, Lola Byrne, opposite Luke Crash, Crash and Burn, Crash and Burn. Uh, which, yeah, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and she's the one who points out like the way Tara Reid, who by the way is half asleep for this movie, and God bless her. Uh, she, you know, they're there while Jimmy Cuervo is wrecking shit and like you know breaking necks and cashing checks on his uh, quest for vengeance, and she's the one who looks up and sees the actual crow, the bird, like perched on a thing, and she says. Uh, at this point, like, he's the crow, like, in the legend, like, in the same tone of voice as actual Tara Reid going, wait, so he's, like, the crow from that movie, The Crow, right? Like, that's his thing, is that he's the crow? <laughs> and she's like, oh, yeah, buh, I heard tell in the legend that if you kill that crow, then the guy will be mortal. Um, and which, in the original, like, The Crow, like, once The Crow is injured, uh, Eric Draven is like, oh, shit, I'm not actually invulnerable. I can bleed out now. Um, and they kind of can't decide in this movie what the limits of that are for Jimmy Cuervo. Like, he's still gonna get, like, shot and stuff, but he's, like, still kind of okay. He's, like, Mick Foley levels of whatever. I can just take a, a shit ton of abuse and don't really do a lot of offense. Yeah. But they're like, you're nothing without your crow. But then he gets into a baseball fight with Famine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he does. Which just immediately made me think of like, oh, so he's like Sting now, I guess? He's like doing Sting cosplay with his baseball bat and his shitty makeup. Um, Now, I feel like, and you know, I I don't mean to be, you know, mean to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in this film, but I feel like war, pestilence, and famine don't really 
get a lot to do in this movie. No, they're they're done pretty dirty. Yeah, it is pretty dope that Pestilence... Uh, now, the one cool death in this movie, as far as I'm concerned, is that Pestilence gets his head fried with a bug zapper. It's pretty cool. <laughs> like, I'm really into this death. Um, but so he, you know, he dies and, you know, we've got... So Luke Crash, his goal at this point is to get possessed by Satan. Like, his whole thing is that he wants that power... Uh, and he wants to be Satan. And at this point, I should also reiterate that it's just David Boreanaz doing Angelus from Buffy. So they need a virgin, and they cannot find a virgin on this entire reservation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so wait, how's... Uh, it's also at this point, by the way, that, uh, the, the crow keeps actually asking for people to please just kill him. (laughs) Um, where he's just like, oh, Jesus, I don't want to be alive. Um, and we get this big, like, uh, compound. It's like a church-turned-cult compound. Yeah, so, uh, this church cult is run by blah, 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 enemy of Luke Crash and Lola Byrne from the past, Mm-hmm. So they're like, we're going to kill you now. And they're related to everyone else. And right. that's supposed to matter somehow. <laughs> yeah, but what does matter is that, Quincy, did you expect Macy Gray to show up in this motion picture? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking, did not. Fucking Macy Gray. Is, I, I had to Google it and be like, is that fucking Macy Gray? Who uh, plays a character that comes to nothing and does nothing called Kara Mia? Which, like, okay, so going with the motif of couples' names, there's got to be a Malcher in there somewhere for Adam's family. <laughs> like, if we've got Crash and Burn. Um, but she just picks a fight with uh, Lola and is just like, hey, fuck you, Lola. And Lola's like, Lola's like fuck you, singer Macy Gray. And it never comes up again. But Dennis Hopper is here, and he plays a character named El Nino, who, uh, now, Quincy, my question to you. So, Quincy is delivering a lot of dialogue that makes him sound like a a sort of 1970s pimp slash, like, Latinx gang leader guy. Um, Do you think they wrote this part for a Latinx actor and then were just like, yeah, we could do some boring shit, or we could get Dennis fucking Hopper? Or do you think it was like, they wrote this dialogue for Dennis Hopper specifically to say out loud in the Dennis Hopper voice. I truly believe that Jeff Most, who is a producer and has a screenplay credit, has never, ever, until he started working on this movie, met a uh, Latinx person. Because of the sheer amount of the times that the word Holmes Holmes. shows up in the screenplay. And it's white people saying, it's like Dennis Hopper voice. consecutively, like multiple times in the same paragraph. Well, it's, you know, Dennis Hopper yelling like, hey, Holmes, what are you doing in my barrio? And just like screaming at the top of his lungs. Um... And we're introduced to, like, apparently uh, Tara Reid had a thing with El Nino. and He is her pimp, and then she stole the spellbook from him, but mm-hmm. now she's back, and then she's going to get her revenge on him. I think <coughs> what this movie was trying to do was intricacies of revenge a la Hamlet. 
Uh, what this movie yeah. failed to do was have any intricacy whatsoever. I mean, it has no intricacy, but it does have just, like, balls-out insane choices. Like, let's get Dennis Hopper for this role. Um, David Boreanaz... Let's just allow him to speak in monotone, because he's like, listen, I'm getting paid scale, and I desperately (laughs) need this check to clear. Let me just get this done today, and then leave, please. I had an afternoon to kill, and they had Utes cheese balls and catering! And he's just like... (laughs) Yeah, he's incredible in this. Uh, so, you know, he conducts this ritual uh, to possess David Duchovny with the spirit of Satan. And he's delivering lines where he's just like, Hey, Satan, it's your boy El Nino. Possess my friend, dude. And then he does. And so David Boreanaz, who at this point is wearing a suit that looks like a cow. Like, it's just this big black it's and white number. It's the Reverend Horton Heat show as energy. <laughs> Yeah, this is pure, like, uh, uh, Joe Bob Briggs doing a Christmas special, like, <laughs> jacket. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, huge, like, psychobilly uh, elder vibes. Oh, and also, they did find a virgin. It is the town mortician, played by Damon John, who was also okay. the executive producer. Now, if you're not familiar with J- Damon John, he's made himself uh, notable as being a Shark Tank judge. Slash entrepreneur and, uh, I believe, owner of FUBU. And they talked this dude into playing a virgin. (laughs) whose answer was, I'm just saving myself for someone special. And then they convinced him to put money up for this film. Oh my god. Which, by the way, uh, this uh, The Crow Wicked Prayer is the uh, first and only film to be produced and released by FUBU Films... There was a FUBU Films, and they made one goddamn movie, and it was The Crow Wicked Actual Prayer. Um, and because, I guess it really was that Damon John's like, I, I'm putting all this money up, I gotta get something. And they're like, all we have left is the virgin. And he's like, damn it, you drive a hard bargain for <laughs> Just play a fucking virgin in our crow sequel. Like, it's... Yeah, that had to have been a weird sell. Um, But, so, uh, Luke Crash does get possessed by actual Mephistopheles-ass Satan. And at this point, he's kind of slipping in and out of doing the, like, Hey, it's me, Satan, voice, where he's just, like, kind of... It's, like, superimposed over over David Boreanaz, who, at this point, is going full Al Pacino in The Devil's Advocate, Hua-ass Satan acting. Like... It's nuts. I'm actually he really... starts like making jokes about I've been around for years, baby doll, and if you come with me, you'll get you'll be the cat's pajamas. It's incredible. I was actually like like I actually I you know I'm 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 not gonna lie to you. At this point in the movie, my spirits were flagging. It was like middle of the afternoon, and I'm like, all right, the crow wicked prayer, bring us home, man. And then David uh, David Boreanaz uh, decided to fucking get on that highlight reel, and he was just doing this like. Bruce Campbell by way of Jim Carrey, like, wild acting. I've never seen anything like it. Like, he is... He <laughs> it's is... like... It's like Nick Cage in um, Wild at Heart, but more insane. I mean, Nick Cage in Wild at Heart, I mean, the relationship between Crash and Burn is basically Sailor Ripley and Lula, where they're just, like, this, like, sort of redneck couple who are just super extra and on the run from the law. 
Um, I was trying not to think about uh, Wild at Heart the entire time watching this, and I fucking failed. Um, but so, uh, I'm sorry, I wrote down in the notes David Duchovny, it's David Boreanaz. Um, so he, uh, dis- they decide to go fuck in a graveyard? They have to consummate their unholy marriage to let Lucifer occupy Luke's body. So why, when did that become part of the thing? Like, when was that? I art? think that is a horny Lucifer just, like, getting <laughs> his beak wet. Is like, I gotta get something out of this. Yeah, he, no, this is 100%. And, and like, Tara Reid being like, I want to bang... Dude, who doesn't want to bang Lucifer? This is like, uh, yeah, to consummate our unholy union, I have to get balls deep behind the garden shed. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's weird as hell. And David Duchovny, which, by the way, is wearing some tidy whiteies when he drops trash in this movie which i thought was a very bold choice um god bless david Boreanaz for going for it um the so wait they kill el nino right right because he was a shitbird too and revenge yeah and yeah, yeah. then they nail jimmy cuervo up like christ because that's a thing but also the nails are the spears they use in bullfighting because Spanish? <laughs> Mexico? This movie doesn't really know what places are or also things. I don't things. know where this movie is. Like, all they say is Raven Aztec Reservation. Well, Raven Aztec Reservation, and you're looking around going, okay, where are the Aztec people? The Crow Wicked Prayer? And it's just like <laughs> this mix of like, what is, it, is it tourist season? And this is who we're looking at right now? Like, where the fuck are we? Um, But at this point, we get... uh, So, hey, if you're thinking to yourself, this movie's got some really weird ideas about spirituality and religion. Uh, At this point in the motion picture, uh, Danny Trejo decides to set aside his total loathing of Jimmy Cuervo for a moment and uh, do a thing called the Crow Dance... Uh, to resurrect the, the the bird that gives Jimmy Cuervo his powers. So, you know how all indigenous people are magic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just, you know, everybody was just like, come on, do the crow. You know you know the one. The one you do every year. Like, he... Now, my, my uh, firm and ardent headcanon for this dance is that Danny Trejo just fucking improvised it. <laughs> That it was just like, it's like this stately little boogie he does where he's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm doing the crow dance to revive this bird for this guy I hate. And he just does this little dance, uh, brings the crow back to life, and then we get a sort of um, Saruman the White versus Gandalf, we're flinging each other's bodies all over the fucking place fight scene between uh, Luke and Jimmy. Yeah, so they're fighting this epic fight, which is uh, precipitated by cock-blocking Lucifer. <laughs> which, you know, has to be a feather in your cap if you have successfully cock-blocked uh, the, the Prince of Darkness. Um, and it just ends with uh, Edward Furlong uh, just impaling Lucifer slash Luke, who, by the way, David Boreanaz is in this movie is credited as Luke death crash slash death slash Satan. <laughs> um, which is just I feel like you get that credit and you're like that's it I don't need to do anything else the rest of my I won like this is the high score um, but so he impales him on a thing and it's whatever and 
uh, for some reason, uh, Luke is still talking to him, and he's just like, ah, don't have killed me. And then Edward Furlong at this point recites, by the way, one of my favorite Stephen Crane poems, uh, the one about uh, the, the being in the desert eating his own heart. And, you know, I said to him, is it good, friend? And he said, it is bitter, but I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. Side note, a thing that I definitely almost got tattooed once, really love that poem, was also super excited for it to show up in the Crow Wicked Prayer. And also, that's, uh, again, because subtlety is for cowards. He says this to the man who literally ate his heart out. <laughs> literally ripped his heart out of his chest. Um... And that's, you know, the movie, and then what? So Edward Furlong, like, presumably crawls back into the grave or whatever after we get this, like, flashback sequence of him and his mullet hanging out with Lily, a relationship that... No, that's actually his, like, he gets to die and they get to have a wedding in heaven. Oh, that's what that is. That's the end of the movie, is he finally gets to be with his beloved. Which is also wild because this is something that they've never done in any of the other movies. I finally get to chew on a girl's neck monogamously, Terminator. Like, he's just this weird little urchin the whole... Yeah, I mean, that's... that's the, My problem with it is they never fucking invest in this relationship in any fucking way. Like, with, between Lily... Like, Lily is fridge material, like, five minutes into this movie... And the movie is trying to convince me, like, through these flashbacks... I My, my problem is, um, I know that they fridged Shelly in the original Crow movie, but I 100% buy that relationship because of how much the movie puts into it. Yeah, and also fucking The Cure. Like, you play <laughs> Nine Inch Nails in The Cure, and I'll believe that they're in love. Absolutely. Give me fucking uh, Machines of Loving Grace, and yeah, Bob's your uncle. But so, yeah, they get married in heaven... And, uh, that's the, that's the, that's the movie. Um, now, I liked this movie so much more than I thought I was going to. Um, Also, I went to Walmart today, uh, and they had the Crow multi-pack of all of the Crow sequels on a single DVD, and I thought for a moment should I purchase a $15 DVD for all the Crow movies? (laughs) And you were right. So wait, all of the Crow sequels, did they have the original Crow on the disc? Absolutely not. Yes! Just the sequels. Yes, excellent. Just, yeah, yeah. That's what you want. You want all of the, uh, here's the the rest of the sausage. Uh, And it's, you know, we bundled it all together. All of them are on basically the same disc. $15? Do you think that's fair? Um... But yeah, this movie got a one-week token theatrical release, by the way, uh, before quietly excusing itself to to go on to standard DVD. Um, it is not a good movie. Um, it is... Uh, the plot is nonsense. Uh, Edward Furlong cannot... The thing is that Edward Furlong, I've known since Brain Scan that Ed fucking Furlong cannot carry an entire motion picture. Um, he's just not good, man. Like, he's, he is good as John Connor and nowhere else, I think. Is that, is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. I, he is endearing, but he is certainly not good. Yeah, well, I mean, and the thing is that uh, a lot of his, you know, crow dialogue, where he's trying to, he doesn't really know what he's going for for this crow character, because, like, he's never really sexy, but he's never menacing, but he's never really, like really sad in the way that you get with Brandon Lee talking about, you know, Shelley at certain points in the movie. Like, 
he he delivers these one-liners, but he doesn't. I don't know. It's like a karaoke cover. It's like he's wearing a crow uh, Halloween costume and trying to deliver crow dialogue, and it just he doesn't. It doesn't really work as the crow, but. There's enough weird and wild shit in this movie to make it completely worth watching. <laughs> it's also on HBO Max right now, so if oh, you subscribe yeah. to that streaming platform, uh, have fun. Yeah, yeah. All right, so looking at our list. Uh, all right, so I here's where I'm going to start, okay? At number 283, we have Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, also a movie with, I guess, literal Satan. Uh, Quincy, which do you think is a better movie, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter or The Crow Wicked Prayer? Crow Wicked Prayer is absolutely joyless. Oh, yeah. It is a chore, an obligation in every sense of the word. (laughs) Right. Um, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter is a labor of love, Mm -hmm. right down to the Mohawk priest who has to cut a hole in his helmet for his Mohawk to stick out. Hell yeah. An actual Santo, the wrestling vampire hunter. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's always going to be better than a Crow sequel. I think you're totally right. Like, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter also at least has any kind of a, a, a soundtrack that's fun to listen to. The Crow Wicked Prayer is just like the most stock, like, flamenco guitar, like, Western parody music. Uh, and it's just, yeah. It's nothing. It's also uh, baffling given that it's part of the Crow franchise. Man, that's kind of my thing is that like they drop this Wild West thing at the top of the movie and I'm a fool because it totally tricked me into going like, all right, are we doing a fucking Wild West Crow movie? I'm fucking on board. Like I would love to see um, the Crow mythos taken throughout time. And so maybe we get like a Victorian Crow or we get like a Wild West Crow figure who comes back. Like I would be so completely down for that, and it just maybe my Why expectations. Can't we have like a yeah, we could have like a um, yeah, like the crow is you know on the on the frontier. We can have a Davy Crockett crow. Yeah, give me like feudal Japan crow. Like I want. I want to see the idea of, well, you and someone you loved got horribly murdered traumatically, and now you're coming back from the grave to avenge them. Like, okay, okay. copyright, copyright, copyright. Mm-hmm. Shakespearean crow. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, isn't, is that, I mean, Hamlet is already basically sort of a proto-crow to me, which yeah. is like somebody who wears a lot of eyeliner and is really sad all the time decides to kill everyone. <laughs> Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, I just had a realization. I feel, yeah, I feel You're good right, about we don't need that. It's it's called Hamlet with <laughs> David Tennant. It's already been done. Oh, man, the David Tennant Hamlet is so good. Oh, it's so good. Also, and a crow AU. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know what, though? I feel like if you gave David Tennant a, a, a role as the crow, I feel like he would crush it. Like... I feel like he would do great as a as a, anyway anyway we're getting into fan casting. Can um, we do a Ducktales the Crow <laughs> or is oh. that way too grimdark for a children's <laughs> property? Wait, so is it who who in Ducktales would be the Eric Draven character? Like who's who's the one who comes back to avenge? I mean, I think it's Gyro Gearloose. It's got to be Gyro Gearloose, like as like a robot crow and he's got to like remake himself after he gets like melted down for scrap by Scrooge McDuck who's like top dollar <laughs> like yeah perfect, perfect. I mean it's in the name top dollar 
My God, this goes all the way to the top. Um, so, uh, looking down our list, Quincy, at number 333, uh, we have Curious George, colon, A Halloween Boo Fest, um, which is not about Day of the Dead, but is, you know, maybe close enough. Which do you think is a better movie? Uh, Curious George, A Halloween Boo Fest, or The Crow, uh, the Crow Wicked Prayer? It's Curious George all the way. <laughs> I think so, too. I think it has to be. Uh, it's at least because um, No Noggin is a much more uh, compelling antagonist than Luke Death Crash slash yeah, Lucifer. there's pathos in a pumpkin, in a scarecrow that's lost his pumpkin head. There is zero pathos in either Luke Crash and Lola Byrne or Eddie Cuervo. You don't care about any of the characters. If anything, no. they're just all shitty. No, we even, by the way, and I, I gotta bring this up, we get a scene of uh, Eddie Furlong talking to the mother of the rapist that he killed back in the day and went to jail for. And, like, they're trying to approximate some kind of, like, emotional interaction between the two of them where she's like, uh, you brought my dead husband back to life with your crow powers, but don't ever expect me to forgive you. And it's like, you know what? I would be into this performance in any other movie that was not the crow wicked prayer. Like, get out of here with this. Like, can we get back to the crow shit? Like, I, I don't... What are we doing? Um, okay, what about number 363, Batman Gotham by Gaslight? Oh, I'll be goddamned if I put this below Batman Gotham by Gaslight, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> the Batman versus uh, <laughs> Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper, maybe? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I'm going to put this above that on, on one metric, and I know it's an imperfect metric, and I feel weird about doing this. It takes the movie like 10 minutes to kill Lily and stuff her in a literal fridge. Batman Gotham by Gaslight uh, kills Poison Ivy in the first two minutes. She's a sex worker who gets killed by Jack the Ripper. How are you going to do Poison Ivy like that, Batman <laughs> Gotham by Gaslight? Fuck out of here. Um, so I actually feel pretty good about putting um, putting the Crow could, uh, Wicked Prayer above that. Right above uh, Batman Gotham by Gaslight is the uh, Benicio Del Toro uh, starring... Uh, remake of The Wolfman at 2010, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Oh, excuse me, I, I hit the microphone. The performances that I'm putting up against each other are David Duchovny hooting and hollering and turning cartwheels on screen in the third act of this movie, versus Benicio del Toro playing Benicio del Toro, but also having fake fur stuck to his face <laughs> for The Wolfman, which I'm a big fan of. Honestly, I'm I'm fucking into it. Uh, I feel like I want to give the edge to The Wolfman because. If we're talking about performances, Benicio Del Toro is like four times the screen presence that my, my boy David Boreanaz is, and it's kind of not close. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think that's fair. Yeah. All right. Wow. Goddamn. So coming in at our new uh, number, 100, uh, excuse me, coming in at our new number 363 is uh, 2005's The Crow wicked prayer quincy you realize that eventually we're going to have to do the crow salvation on this list but also never the movie the crow i'm very excited to do the crow salvation i think it yeah. could be good you know what the, the good thing is that we are we've already watched the worst crow sequel with the crow city of angels currently uh, sitting pretty at 489 out of 503 movies on our list so you know it's it's blue skies from from here on out uh, How bad could it be? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, looks like the worst is behind us. I, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Our listeners can find us on our social media accounts at uh, Twitter, at RankinVileCast, and on Instagram, at RankinVile. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash RankinVile. Hell yeah. And guys, uh, we've got a bunch of exciting uh, stuff coming out on our Patreon right now, so please, uh, for the low price of $2, you can have our uh, ridiculous show notes uh, to see uh, thoughts that we did not uh, express on this episode where we talked about the Crow uh, Wicked Prayer, or for $5, you get access, guys, to bonus material. You get extra episodes. Us grousing about uh, canon uh, action movies uh, from the 80s. And so much Sylvester Stallone talk, it's really untenable. It's really just our, our passion project right now is doing Sylvester Stallone movies on <laughs> on our Patreon. So go, go and uh, check that out. Guys, if you like what we do uh, on the show and you enjoy listening to us talk about stuff, uh, consider heading over to uh, our page on iTunes and giving us a five-star review. Um, it would really, really help us to kind of get out to more people. Um, and for those of you who have, we love you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, also, but, check out our website at FaustianNonsense.com. Oh, yeah. We've got all manner of merch. We've got uh, uh, Jalo t-shirts. We've got Deathmatch Wrestling in a cute bubble font. Um, we've got mugs. We've got all... Uh, we, we've got shirts. We've got so much stuff. So uh, go and check that out at FaustianNonsense.com. Uh, uh and yeah, but that is, uh, barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>